all kinds of conversations. That's what it's all about. Arrow.net. A-R-R-O-E.net. We are unplugged and totally uncut with U.S. Defense Secretary Mark Esper. Hey, fine, Arrow. How, how are you? Absolutely fantastic. I love the way you write. It's like a novel, and I have to keep telling myself, no, this really happened. This really happened. <laughs> Well, thanks. I like that picture. Is that you? And that picture? That's me. That's me holding a flying V guitar I purchased when I was 17 years old. And then and then the, the acoustic that's next to me is is a piece of Native American history that's with me every day. Yeah. That's great. It's, it's good. Good. Good pick. To, to be able to put this book together, first of all, the listeners need to understand, do not look at the thickness of this book. What you have to do is you have to look at the history that's inside this book. Yeah, I tried to I tried to make it an easy read for folks, and uh, it is an account of history. So when I wrote it, I wanted to make sure I was very thorough. I tried as much as possible to be complete and accurate and fair. And in fact, I had over two dozen four-star officers and senior civilians, and including a few cabinet members, look at all or parts of the book to make sure I was as fair as possible because I knew I, I would be writing for history. Well, yeah, because that's one of the things as a writer that people always say that when you write about history and stuff like that, it's so easy to get your point of view and you rewrite history. And it's like, nah, we got to keep it. We got to keep it authentic. Was that difficult for you to do in any way? Um, I, no, in, on one hand, but on the other hand, you got to be careful of your own biases. So that's why I, I want to get others to review it, because context in all these things have, uh, matters. People want to pull out a quote here or an anecdote there. But you have to have a broader context in all its richness and levels. And, you know, it's particularly in these jobs where you're the secretary of defense, but you got to manage the Department of Defense. You've got your military service members. You have to deal with Congress and think tanks and, of course, the media, uh, allies and partners and adversaries. And all these things factor into any one decision at a time. So people want to pull out this decision and said you did a good job or pull that one out and say you did a terrible job. It's it's you need to provide people that context. And that's what I tried to do when, when I wrote the book we're talking about is a sacred oath in listening to it I mean, reading it and things like that. I mean, especially when we were talking about Venezuela, it's almost like, whoa, 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 a sacred oath. I mean, are there some codes of silence here as well? Well, you know, I, the reason why, again, I wrote this book and to answer critics who say, well, why didn't you resign? I, I, these things happen like the Venezuela, the idea of uh, conducting some type of, of, of attack on Venezuela. Uh, went on for months and months. And I felt it was important that I be in that position to push back on what I thought was a bad idea or other bad ideas, such as deploying a quarter million troops to the border or shooting missiles into Mexico or asking American paratroopers to to uh, to shoot protest protesters in the legs in Washington, D.C. I think these are all bad ideas that it was really the compelling reason why I decided to stay rather than kind of walk away from the job and 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 and, and talk about these things. Oh, I, I totally understand that. Is because you, you knew th- things weren't right, but if you disappear, well, the next per- person that comes in may may not get it right either, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. So I, I well, we saw that you. actually. If, 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 I, as I said to people, if you, if you didn't like the regime that came in once uh, we were decapitated at the Pentagon on November 9th, if you don't like the last sixty days of the Trump administration. Think about those people running the Pentagon for eight months. Ooh. And that was my concern is that he would put in uber loyalists into the Pentagon. And what would that mean for all these different things? How often did you bite your lip during those moments where, where you when you knew in your heart something just wasn't right? <clears throat> well, you know, at the, when dealing with the president, um, you know, he was he would actually listen to you. He'd give you your, your moment. And I was always forthright in terms of what I would say to him and either push back or or offer other alternatives. So I didn't have an issue there. Um, and, and, you know, you just never knew where people around him were going to take it or what they were saying behind your back. And that was a problem. I talk about some of those cases. 
And then, of course, I was fired on November 9th. And when I see all these things ha begin happening, I was, you know, just kind of felt bad. You saw we immediately withdrew troops from Africa. The more talk about withdrawing American forces from Afghanistan. Uh, there's we, we hear about this secret White House meeting to attack Iran. All these things start coming into play. Uh, you know, it really troubled me that I wasn't there anymore. And, and what happened was not unexpected in terms of those items. Where you were, though, you were you were in the middle of the Operation Warp Speed. I mean, we saw what you know what the news networks were sharing, but you really go in depth in this, and you 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 really explain to us what what the, you know what went into the thoughts and the actions. Yeah, it was really a, a, I think one of the greatest public private partnerships in, in our history. And I was, you know, thankful to be uh, co-leading with Alex Azar. But look, the military did a great job, not not me uh, personally, but the military did a great job in terms of supporting Americans in hospitals, with field hospitals, the, the hospital ships, and then the effort to, to come up with warp speed. I mean, that was another reason why I just couldn't leave. I couldn't walk away from the American military at this pivotal time in our nation's history when they're out in the streets of America helping helping our country deal with COVID and not knowing what this pandemic really was. I mean, we, we, we look about it back now, we have two vaccines, we have therapeutics and people aren't dying like they used to, but we didn't know that in February, March and April yeah. and May of 2020. Um, so much has changed for, for the good. When it comes to China, does the average American understand the game? And the reason why I bring that up is because your chapter, China, 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 is one that really, it, it opens up my eyes as well as my heart as to, oh, God, I, I had no clue. I think Americans uh, instinctively know that the Chinese Communist Party is a, is, is a bad thing that's not, not working in our interests or the world's interest, if you will. But I think it's important to explain to them why, give them insights as to why the United States military needs to modernize, why we need to grow partners and allies in the region. That's going to take a global effort to stand up to the Chinese. Look, they're the second largest economy in the world. They will probably surpass us at some time. Mm -hmm. uh, they have the largest population. They uh, Their technology is, is really good. And uh, they, they use their power and they have a game plan and they want to dominate. They've told us that they want to dominate at least the Indo-Pacific by the year 2049. We need to be get a much greater focus on this. So as a martial artist, they always told me that you become the better student when you stand on the side of the mat. Do you feel that way now that you're on the outside that you like you can become the stronger instructor, the master and things like that from from where you presently stand? You know, it's you're more free to speak, right? When you're in an administration, you have to you have to ride for the brand, if you will. So whether it's me and kind of defending the administration's policies, or whether it's my successor Lloyd Austin defending President Biden, you go back. I mean, obviously, you have more freedom to speak uh, and to share your own personal views rather than just uh, either repeating or some some of the administration's views. So yeah, I, I feel. You know, I can speak more candidly now. It's a reason why I wrote this book is to kind of put some of this stuff out on the table for the American people, uh, but but to do it because I was writing for history in a more thoughtful and comprehensive way because then we could have a good discussion about what was really happening and yeah. what was succeeding or preceding uh, you know, those moments in time. Oh my God. It's it, what, what I just felt from that was I can have a, you, you know, basically you're saying I can have a conversation now. I'm not reaching for a soundbite. And I think maybe that's the reason why I really love this book because you are having a conversation with us. You know, you put it better than I did, Michael. It's so much, uh, particularly the media wants to distill things down to a soundbite, but, but you know, we don't operate in soundbites. We operate in, 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 in long chapters. And it, what, again, the words precede you, the events that precede you matter. They shape the decisions you make at the time. And it's easy to go back and uh, armchair quarterback things. But when you're in that moment, you're, you, you, you go with what you have.
Wow. Well, Secretary, I can't thank you enough for this book. I mean, it's 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 a long read, but it's a well worth read is what it is. And I and please come back to this show anytime in the future. Thanks, Errol. It was a pleasure talking with you. And yeah, feel free to invite me back anytime. You bet. You be brilliant today. Okay, sir.